Welcome to the Habit Podcast, conversations with writers about writing. I'm Jonathan Rogers, your host. Peterson is the executive director of The Rabbit Room and a devotee of The Waffle House. But more to the point, he's a great writer. He's written the novels Fiddler's Gun and Fiddler's Green. In recent years, he surprised us all by taking up playwriting. He wrote The Battle of Franklin and adapted Frankenstein for the stage. The fall of 2019 will see the debut of his play about Corey Ten Boom. I'm not sure I even know the story of how you ended up being a playwright. Like when when I found out you were writing Battle of Franklin, I was like, "Well, that's great, but how did this even?" Yeah, it, like nothing about my history with you explained. Oh, and and that's why he's now doing the Battle of Franklin. <laughs> yeah, that's a funny story. It's it's funny since I've written it several times, like in in uh, post show question and answers or or whatever. Uh, students or aspiring playwrights have stood up and said, do you have any advice for me on how to become a playwright? <laughs> and my answer is, I have no idea what to tell you because <laughs> like, I did not plan this. Yeah. I have no idea what the traditional path is. I, I no idea how that's supposed to work. The way it worked for me was, I mean, I'm a novelist. I've written a mm-hmm. couple of novels, some short stories, plenty of essays, that kind of thing. And, uh, you know, just... You know, I happened to have some relationships with some people who were in the theater community here in town. And so it just so happened that, well, I guess five or six years ago, uh, one of the theater companies here in Nashville decided they wanted to do an original adaptation of Cinderella. Uh-huh. And uh, they were they didn't know of anybody who might be able to write that. And uh, the, the potential director just kind of looked at his bookshelf and asked his friends who should write this. And somebody said, you know what, you should read Pete Peterson's Fiddler's Gun book. And so he picked it up and read a little bit of that, and uh, and said, "I think this is a guy for the job." So he called just because the way you portrayed this female character. He, well, he didn't even read the whole book. I think he just read the first uh, the first little prologue there, and he just felt like it had a strong voice and set the whole story off in a strong direction, and thought this is what we need. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't know if he was right or wrong, but that's yeah, what he thought. So he came to me and said, hey, would you be interested in doing this? And I'm not the kind of person that traditionally says no to things that sound exciting. <laughs> so I said yes. In fact, I was such a, I was so green in the whole theater world at that point that what he actually said was, hey, would you write the book for a new musical of Cinderella? Now, in theater terms, the book means the script. Yeah. And I had never heard that before. And so what I thought he was asking me was, I thought he was saying, hey, we're going to do this new version of Cinderella. Would you write the novelization of it? <laughs> and I was like, sure. <laughs> and it was about three quarters of the way through that conversation when I actually realized that he was asking me, asking me to write the script for it. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I dove in, in feet first. Is that, no, dove in head first uh, and didn't know what I was getting into. So that, that production never came to anything, but yeah. it, was a good, uh, it was a good way to dip my toe in the water. Did you of, write the whole script? I did. Uh-huh. And uh, in my ignorance, I wrote lyrics and everything. Uh-huh. And I'm not a lyricist. I'm not a songwriter. I was just like, this feels like what it should say. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, since learned that's not the way things go. But um, I said script. Is that the right word? That is the right word. Yeah, it? I mean, script, stage play, uh-huh. uh, whatever. We know yeah. what we're talking about, I think. But um, so that was my first testing of the waters. And in that process, the director and I, Matt Logan, kind of, you know, we just realized that we enjoyed working together. We kind of saw a story from the same perspective. Uh, and then even though that, that uh, particular play never came to fruition, 
um, a couple years later when this, the theater company started talking about adapting something for the Battle of Franklin, you know, I was the guy that they turned to. And again, I said, yeah, absolutely, I'll be happy to do that. And so that's how I ended up writing plays. And I just love it. I've always loved theater. Mm-hmm. I studied uh, film in college. So um, I was, you know, at least familiar with the basic format of, um, you know, not prose, but stage writing or screenwriting. Mm-hmm. It wasn't that foreign to me. Uh-huh, yeah, right. So it was pretty easy to step in and do it. And, uh, you know, I kind of learned along along the way. And I'm thankful for, you know, the years before that, that I enjoyed watching theater, mm-hmm. you know, so that when I stepped in to try to write it, I kind of had a, an understanding of what I was trying to do. Yeah. But I love it. Yeah. How has writing plays changed the way you write other stuff? Or I guess I should say, has it changed? It has. Uh, I think I've learned a lot of really interesting lessons from stage writing. One of the first ones that pops into my mind is uh, when you're writing for the stage, one of the things I learned is that every one of your actors needs to have their moment of being uh, the most important person on stage. Uh-huh. Uh, and, and that's, you know, not only for story reasons, but like just so that the actor feels like they have something to own. And my my reason in this play is for this one moment when I'm going to change the course of the story. Uh-huh. So everybody needs that. And, uh, you know, in the fir- in, in, in no first draft ever is that the case. You know, uh-huh. you find these moments in, in your subsequent drafts. But I think that's kind of informed the way I think about stories in general. Like, huh. you know, when I go down to write a short story or think about a novel or whatever, or when I watch a movie and I'm critiquing it in my mind, you know, that's part of what's there is like, you know, if this character doesn't have a moment in which they are going to change the course of the story, why are they there? Huh. And that's of utmost importance in the stage because we have actual people out there playing these parts and uh, yeah. nobody should be there if they don't have to. So you know, it's this constant <laughs> yeah, right. situation of like, I need to weed everything out that doesn't belong. Yeah. And that's, you know, when you're writing a novel, you know, you have the freedom to put anything you want in and nobody can make you take it out because it doesn't cost anything. Right. Um, not monetarily at least. Right. Uh, so there's not this constant pressure to monitor it then in the same way. But when you start writing for the stage, that becomes a reality. And that only strengthens the story, I think, to think about it that intentionally. Yeah. So that, that's the first thing that comes to mind. Yeah. yeah. It's funny you mention that because I remember talking to somebody who wrote plays, um, among other things, for – like one, one way that – you may know this already. You probably do. Uh, one way to make a living as a, as a playwright is to write – plays for um, school productions okay and in that case you do need to have a big yeah. you need to, you do need to have a big cast and I think maybe that cast needs to be predominantly <laughs> girls because more girls do <laughs> right if I remember correctly right and so I, I don't think they can predominantly well <laughs> a lot of parts don't require much talent <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. yeah right and um, and so I, I think the principle of everybody on stage needs to uh, uh, change the course of the, 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 the story may not apply to, to That's that. That's very true. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's also, it's sort of the opposite. Instead of um, instead of everybody having to be paid who's on the stage, you're right. actually... <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's a good point. <laughs> anyway, that's that's neither here nor there. Uh, but the... Um, have you, have you uh, written any fiction since you started writing plays? Yeah, I'm trying to remember. I, I think I have. Like, I think... Barnabas Bede and the Oracle of Philadelphia, which mm-hmm. are two short stories, mm-hmm. 
and then a couple others that I've started. I think they are, I'm sure they are since I started writing plays. Yeah. 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 Okay. But I haven't done anything long form. And part of that's just because I, I, the plays have kind of taken over and I haven't had time. Yeah. Um, as long as keep, people keep asking me to write things and paying me to do it, that kind of takes precedence over what sure. I want to write for free and hope that I can sell. Sure. Uh, which yeah. I hope to get back to one day. I've definitely got some novels I want to write. But yeah. at the moment, I feel like my calling is toward this playwriting thing. Uh, they keep coming and keep asking. Yeah. So that's what yeah. I'm doing. Most of my work. The... Um Let's talk a little bit about the um, – I had asked you earlier before we started recording and, and was a little bit surprised at your answer when I was asking you about the um, the drafting process. Um, I was – I would have thought that you um, – that writing plays with all with all the readings and that kind of stuff would, would mean you were writing a lot more drafts than you, than you normally – than you would for writing mm-hmm. a piece of fiction or something. And you you indicated maybe that wasn't that you're not yeah you I, didn't write more drafts I don't know that that's true I mean I ha, I don't what is very different is in in, in playwriting I track my drafts very um, methodically mm-hmm. so that when I'm on draft 27 I know it and the reason is because um, it's collaborative and there might be a situation when we come into a reading and we realize that this new thing that I've written doesn't work as well as the last thing that I wrote so I need to be able to you know, go back and rewind the clock sometimes. So I very clearly track the progress of it in drafts. Whereas in novel writing, I don't do that so much. Uh-huh. Uh, but I think I do do just as many drafts. And then when I say draft too, I probably need to, you know, you know, make clear that I, I never, and I've never been the kind of writer who writes a first draft and then puts that in a drawer and starts again on page one and writes a new draft yeah. cold like that. I don't, I don't do that. Like I, I edit deeply and restructure and rearrange and you know all that kind of stuff characters come and go but it doesn't happen in a fresh draft Uh so so when i'm writing uh fiction you know prose style like i do do just as many drafts just as many pass-throughs because like everything that i've ever published i've completely read aloud to myself because i think everything has to work aloud sure which is another kind of weird parallel with the stage Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the final form of it, I feel like, needs to work aloud in the same way that it does internally. Um, so in the process of reading aloud, I correct everything that doesn't roll off the tongue. You know, mm-hmm. anything that doesn't feel like a good transition all gets revised. So I think by the time I'm done, I've done just as many drafts. Yeah. So how is it different, though, with a um, – you're reading – so when you're writing your own fiction, you're reading it to yourself it, because you, you care about the ear. Um how is that different from a you know the table reading when mm-hmm. you've got other people reading? Uh, just, surely yeah. that's different. Surely it's that's very different. different. Yeah, yeah. Then uh, that's one of my favorite things about the art form of stage writing is it's not just me. Like I yeah. can read my prose aloud because I know how I think it should sound, but the reality is I'm not a great actor. I'm not an mm-hmm. actor, you know. Mm-hmm. And so when you sit down at a table read with actors and actresses who read through your 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 work, um, they bring a whole different set of layers and nuance to that reading that 
sometimes I expected and sometimes it informs. I'm like, oh, I didn't even think about how that meant if it was going to be read that way. And that may change the whole course of a scene. Yeah. Uh, which is super exciting for me. Yeah. And it, and even beyond that, you know, sometimes if you get into a situation where you're doing readings with actors who you know will be in the final play, mm-hmm. you, know, you can start a, to kind of like recognize their strengths and where they want the character to go. And then you can kind of tailor that part to help them realize, you know, a, a fuller version of the character than that which you had imagined on your own, which is very exciting. Yeah. And definitely is not something that happens in writing a novel. Yeah. Yeah. Is there any, is there anything like most people listening to this podcast are not going to be playwrights? I assume. Uh, <laughs> It'd be is a very there, strange podcast. <laughs> if it were otherwise. <laughs> is there, um, is there any generalizable principle to, to benefit writers from, from, from some of these ideas? Well, I think one of the most beneficial things to me has been just uh, the economy of language. Like, uh, you know, when you're writing a novel, you have the leeway to say as much as you want. In the context of a stage play, you've got 90 minutes to get this across, and you got to do it in these two acts, and it's all in dialogue. Mm-hmm. It's all going to be conveyed in dialogue. Um, and that's hard. It's hard. It really requires you to sit down and think, because you don't want your dialogue to be expositional. Mm-hmm. But you also have to get across a whole bunch of stuff, you know, just through people talking to one another. And uh, so I really think it, it enforces an economy of language that isn't readily apparent when you're writing fiction. Mm-hmm. At least if you're a, a, a new writer right. or an inexperienced writer. Because, you know, you feel like you've got all the pages in the world to tell your story. That's yeah. not true. <laughs> you want people to read it. Yeah. But uh, you can. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, in the context of a play, it better not be longer than... 90 minutes or 100 minutes or people are just going to go to sleep. Yeah. So uh, you've got a hard kind of like boundary on what you can do. Yeah. Which is very, it's a great exercise. Yeah. I often tell writers, especially if, if writers who, who just have too much abstraction, too much exposition, you know, I, I encourage them to, to pretend that they're a movie maker. How do you communicate these ideas mm-hmm. visually, you know, with dialogue, but not, you know, not basically without a narrator you know how do you mm-hmm. it's another way of saying you know show don't tell just right. imagine you're a, a, mo- a movie maker or I don't usually say playwright but but I could um, and now I, I think it'd be a mistake to really commit to that as a prose writer because because you you, you use the strengths that you have right. and one of those strengths is you can bring in a narrator every now and then to, right. in a way that doesn't work in a movie or on a play uh, in a movie or in a play, and um, but you know, one thing about about playwriting is that you've got a um, you've got set design, you know, that's that's somebody else's job, mm-hmm. um, and as as you've already suggested, the actors bring something yeah. to it. Everybody brings something to it. Was part part of what I love about it is that, um, you know, as a as an author. I am the final arbiter of the work. Yeah. You know, the thing that I deliver is the thing that people will experience. As a playwright, that is not true. Right. Like, my my name may be under the title, you uh-huh. know, but there's a whole lot of other people that have created the thing that is. And uh, my job, actually, is to provide kind of a scaffolding for mm-hmm. all these other people with all these other artistic disciplines to come and plug in their gifts into this thing to make it its its full version of itself. 
And so, you know, the, the final thing is something that I scarcely even imagined. Yeah. You know, I, I imagined its most basic form, and then the costume designer comes in and makes it his own thing, and then the set designer comes in and makes it his own thing. The the, the actors and actresses do their own thing. The, the musical guys, the lighting people, um, the director, you know, all these other people are speaking into this thing that you've created and making it more than you could possibly have done on your own. I mean, I guess, you know, it's possible that they could make it far worse than what sure, you imagined. Yeah. And I'm sure that happens sometimes. Luckily, it hasn't to me. Uh-huh. But uh, I've been just really grateful for the talented people that have worked on my stuff and um, incarnated things that took it beyond my wildest imaginations into something really good. Yeah. yeah. And it's it's also a relief, I think, as a writer, you know, with a, with a book, you, you have to be kind of humble about your work, you know, mm-hmm. like... I created this thing and I'm proud of it, but I'm not going to stand up and say, "Oh, it's great." Yeah. But you know, when when I you're involved with a play, you're only a very small part of that process, so I have no problem being able to say, "Man, that, it just turned out great. I'm so happy with it." Yeah. You know, and it's a, you have a different relationship with your own work, which yeah. is kind of refreshing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, tell me about um, experiencing the play in the theater with. Oh yeah, an audience. Yeah, man. Okay, so this is one of my. <laughs> this is, uh, playwriting is so refreshing in this manner, uh, in contrast to being an author. Because you know, as an author, you slave over this this manuscript for years, and, you know, and you you get it published, and then release day comes, and uh, you are met with you know deafening silence. Yeah. You know, yeah, maybe your your friends at breakfast or something say, hey, congratulations, today's the day, right? <laughs> you know, and, and that's about it. And then you wonder, like, what are people thinking of it? You know, and then yeah. over the next few weeks, reviews trickle out, you know, if you're lucky. Whereas with a play, <laughs> you, you, you go through all these rehearsals and you wrestle over it. And then uh, when that's all over, you, you go to opening night. And even if people hated the play, they're probably still going to stand up and clap, you know, <laughs> which feels really good. So it's like this immediate affirmation. And then, you know, I'll, you know, you go see it the next night and the next night and the next night, and, you know, and you mm. really get a sense for how much people are enjoying it. So there's this sense of, like, immediate gratification yeah. that uh, definitely is not there when you're writing a book. Um, on the other hand, the flip side of that is that the play runs for two weeks and it's gone. Yeah. And nobody sees it maybe ever again. Yeah. Uh, whereas, you know, with a book, books per- will persist and be here long after we're gone. Yeah. Well, so will a play in, in its written form, but who knows if we'll ever see a production again. Yeah, right. Yeah. Has that experience with the audience changed anything about the way you think about, you know, other kind? I, I know, well, yes, you, you said you've written short stories. You've written plenty of essays since. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, does that it, does that audience experience change anything about the way you think about your audience for your other writing? Yeah, I don't know. It's a good question. Um, like I think, in large part, when I write, uh, I write. I'm writing for myself, and I don't mean that um, in a, any sort of uh, hubristic way or, sure. or like that. What I mean is. Like the reason I write is like is there's a story that I feel like I need to tell, and in the process of that story, I'm working through something, um, whether that's the different conflicts of the characters, or if it's some kind of philosophical question, and like you know the case of Frankenstein, or uh, there's always these things that I'm wrestling with, and I want to get to the bottom of. And a story, telling a story, is the best way in which I know how to do that. So like for instance, 
you know, right now I'm in the middle of working on the hiding place. Uh, yeah. I'm adapting that for the stage, you know, is uh, based on the book by Corey Tinboom. And so much of that book is about, you know, the Holocaust and suffering and, and how we react to suffering when we're in the midst of it and uh, what we come out of that experience with. And that's something that I don't really know the answer to because I've never had to deal with suffering in any kind of major way. Uh, so in the context of this, you know, I, I, you know, I visited um, concentration camps and, you know, really got my head into like what that felt like and what people have to go through and reading other books that deal with suffering. And so like, you know, I, in that, in that way, I am the audience for my writing because I'm trying to figure out what I think about this subject. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, hopefully when I'm done, I, I've at least satisfied myself that I think I've come to a better understanding uh, of, of this subject matter. Uh, and I think that, or it's my belief that if I can satisfy myself in that way, then hopefully it will satisfy an audience. And, uh, you know, the proof of that is in the readings and the rehearsals. Mm -hmm. And if I see that that's not the case and that people are coming out of it with, a, out of it with uh, questions that I didn't think about, which they do, then I have the opportunity to go back and redress those things and uh, yeah. come to a better conclusion. Yeah, you're you're talking about you're in the table readings in the in the obviously I guess by the time the audience sees it, it's a little late for that. Right. But, but in the process of right, but even when you're doing table readings, you're like, that's that's an audience. You know, sure. The actors yeah. and actresses and the crew that are listening, they're an audience and they're giving you great feedback uh -huh. and saying, you know, I understood this, I didn't understand this, I didn't believe this character turn, I didn't believe you know this scene. Yeah. And you can go back to the you know drawing board and figure out better ways to address those things, do, which is great. Yeah. Do do those do those tables have? Uh, Rules, either written or unwritten, for how you can, what kind of feedback they can give or how they um, give feedback? I don't know. I don't know. I've never been to anybody else's reading. Yeah. But uh, when I go to mine, I, like every time I've done this, I tell people right off the bat, one, thank you for being part of this process. And then two, I've got thick skin. I'm not here to hear people tell me how good this is. Mm -hmm. I'm here to hear t people tell me. Uh, what's wrong with it? Because mm -hmm. that's the only thing that's going to make it better. Because yeah. opening night is coming, whether we like it or yeah. not, and it's not going to do me any good to hear how good it yeah. is. I, I, what I need to know is what's not working, what you think, what questions are you leaving the theater with, um, what questions are in your mind as an actor or actress. Like, you know, mm -hmm. that, that's what I need to know. Mm -hmm. And so we've always had really good discussions. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, and I wish uh, more more novelists would <laughs> ask for that kind of feedback. Yeah, sometimes, right. You know. <laughs> yeah. So the hiding place, you, I, just from our conversations, I, I know that that has that you've had some interesting problems to solve from the source material to the to the play. Yeah, mm -hmm. you know the 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 book, the hiding place, is a remarkable book. Right. And it's a remarkable book because it's a true story. Right. If it was not a true story, it would be a terrible book. Yeah. <laughs> like, and what I mean by that is, it's very, it's very. Uh, um, preachy it's very tidy mm -hmm. the answers it gives are very uh, kind of wrapped up easily yeah and uh and that is you're, i think Corey tinboom can only tell that story in that way because she was there and she lived it and yeah. uh, she's testifying to her experience right whereas if i wrote a fiction uh fictional story about somebody going through that i don't think anybody would believe it yeah yeah so, you know, in the context of a play, that's kind of what I'm faced with. Like, we're telling the story to uh, a largely post-Christian society, 
and I think it's an important enough story that I, I would like to see it persist for generations to come. And so part of the challenge is how do we tell this story to, to people who maybe don't believe uh, in the same things that me and Corey Tinboom believe in and still have it be a story that they can resonate with and, and uh, see truth in. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's been interesting to wrestle with. And, and I've kind of approached it as uh, an origin story, if you want to think in superhero terms. Mm-hmm. You know, like every superhero's got his origin story. And so I kind of think, the, think of this uh, as Corey Ten Boom's origin story. Like how, uh, what did she have to go through to become this incredible witness of the gospel that she was when when the uh, when she emerged from this crucible, uh-huh. and so the so the Corey that you encounter in the context of the story is the Corey that's in uh, in the midst of this transformation, and she doesn't become the Corey that most people know until the final scenes of the show, uh-huh. and that seems important to me because in the context of the book, I think it's pretty clear that she knows what she thinks all the way through, yeah. and so the book is just kind of a almost a uh, an affirmation of what she already believes, uh-huh. uh, which is not the way that we work, <laughs> you know? And uh, so I thought it was important to kind of show the ways in which she grew. And so, you know, I'm not, I'm not rewriting her story. I'm just uh, choosing to focus on different parts of her story and the way that she grows than I think um, has ever been done before. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You, you, you mentioned that there's a certain, there's a, there's an authority of somebody who has lived through these things and for these things. Right. You know, obviously, Corey Boom has plenty of authority, but that's authority that you don't have right. as a playwright and that the actors and the right. set designers and, and those people yeah. don't have. And I think that's such a, such an interesting... The, the fact that it is that this stuff is true doesn't mean the same thing for you that it does for Corey Yeah, Boom. that's really interesting. Yeah. If Corey was sitting here, she could tell you her story and it would mean one thing. If I sit here and tell you the story, it, it it's different. Yeah, you know. So that means we have to arrive at different ways of tell, telling that story. Yeah, yeah, very true. Um, I can't, I can't wait to see the show. I hope, hope I'll get to see the show. And in, in, uh, so it's, it's the show's gonna be in Houston. Yeah, Houston in it opens, October, uh, September, September. Yeah, September of two thousand nineteen. Yeah, yeah, it's coming up quick. Yeah, man. <laughs> um, all right. So, um, real quickly, can you summarize? You've touched on this already, but what's the big picture of, of how you get from an early draft through the table readings and the yeah. you know just just talk about that process a little bit. Yeah. Um, so my first draft of a, I mean, I guess this applies to a book. It certainly will apply to the next book I write because I feel like this is something I've learned in the context of playwriting. But my, my first, earliest draft of a play will be just absolute bare-bones, skeletal. Like, it may even have scenes that just say things like, Corey says something about this. Oh, really? What did this mean? And you know, it's just kind of nonsense mm-hmm. getting from point A to point B because I know the space has to be filled. And then, you know, I get to the next scene, I can write it. And I've got to get through all that mess to just be able to see and feel like, oh, this is the basic shape of Act 1, shape of Act 2. And uh, it doesn't have to make sense in anybody's mind but my own. I just right. have to get from beginning to end. Uh-huh. Uh, and then once I've done that, I can, I can, I can feel whether or not it, that shape works. And then I can begin to go back in and fill it in. Mm-hmm. So what I've noticed is, you know, this is the, one, two, this is the fourth time I've done this with a play. Um, the first draft tends to be really lean. 
Mm-hmm. And then I spend several drafts going back and, and uh, fleshing out these characters and situations uh, so that they then begin to feel real. And yeah. what I end up with is something that's really, really fat, okay. re- really overlong, okay. but is ultimately much better because it you know is fleshed out. And so then the final drafts are about winnowing it back down to something that's much more skeletal, but is just got the good stuff. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that, you know, should apply to all writing, you right. know, but it's just the, the, the form of the, of the play has caused me to, to focus on that in a much bigger way. Uh-huh. And it's much harder, I think, to, to cut it down to that leanest version because you're so constricted by the 2X structure and uh, by your 90 to 120 minutes. Than you are in a in, you know, if in a novel, you know. Yeah, I need to cut things back, but oh, you know what? I really love this chapter, and if I do, it's going to stay. Yeah. When maybe it shouldn't. Yeah. And so I feel like I'm learning that, and I hope it's going to make my next novel a lot better. Do uh, when you when you descri- when you spoke of the late drafts, mm-hmm. d- are you saying before you ever show it to the uh, to the yeah. actors? I would say uh, right now, like with the hiding place, right now I'm in my middle draft period. Uh-huh. We've done uh, so. It's still too fat. It's still too fat. Yes, um, uh, we've done one official reading. I've done you know a reading at my house with some friends. Right. And my dear wife uh, suffers through Both multiple them. readings at yeah. the kitchen table just with me and her. Um, so we're in that period right now. And we'll eventually get to the point where I think when we start rehearsal, I'll have a I should I better have a draft that I feel like is done. Uh-huh. But even between rehearsal and opening night, there will be further drafts where scenes are being shaved and reshaped. And you know, in the past, we've even added entire scenes, changed entire characters in the context of rehearsal, mm-hmm. just because something's not working. Yeah. And so it's not really locked down until opening night. Yeah. When you say too fat, is are these readings taking an hour and a half? Um, <laughs> no, like, well, okay, so this is funny. I talked about doing a, an edition or a, an adaptation of Cinderella, and uh, I recently pulled that out. And, and act one of that version of Cinderella is two hours long. Oh, wow. The whole thing is 180 pages. So it's, it's, an, it's a three-hour-plus play. Which <laughs> <laughs> nobody, like, unless you're Les Mis, nobody's going to yeah, see right. that play, you know. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, that's, that's what I mean by fat. Uh-huh. And so, but like that's what I needed to tell the story at that sure. point. So, like if if I'm going to go, I would like to go back to that script and you know finish it and produce it at some point. But if we do that, it'll I'll take that and I'll have to go back and just start cutting and figuring mm-hmm. out. Okay, this doesn't belong. That doesn't belong. How do we restructure it so that I can build the same amount of tension and story in a shorter amount yeah. of space? Yeah, yeah. This this principle of of uh, the skeleton to the too fat to the to the just right. Um, makes it does make me think about Frankenstein. I mean, it, it, it's too bad mm-hmm. Mary Shelley didn't have the principle of shaving <laughs> it back down. Yes, it know? is. Because yeah. um, I mean, I, I I like your version of Frankenstein a lot better than than Mary Shelley's oh, version. Thank you. It, it felt like you had all the good stuff without yeah without all that other without stuff. the travelogue. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't know if you know this, but she was a travel writer. She like she would do work for hire, like uh-huh. writing like travel stuff. And I think at some point she would just, and, and during the book, she would just kind of fall into that mode and get just kind of a whole overview of like a tour of Northern Ireland or something. That's it's, funny. It's kind of funny. Yeah. Well, it's we're kind of out of time. Um, but well, that was quick. It, it doesn't take long, does it? Um, but thank you for uh, for these insights. I I um, I'm gonna. I'm going to be thinking. I'm going to chew on this idea of the of the second the, the middle drafts being bigger, you know, fatter. 
I think that's a I think that's a really helpful insight for any kind yeah. of writing. Well, I get like when I say that, I mean like I go scene by scene, and like I I will feel like this scene is just it's just conveying information. Mm-hmm. And for a scene to work, it's got to do more than convey information. It's right. got to be a whole story into itself. Yeah, you know, with a uh, first act, middle act, third act. Every you know? scene. Every scene. Every somebody recently told me that, and I I haven't tested this, but it sounds true. This every scene should be either a fight, a seduction, or a or a uh, a uh, negotiation. Uh huh. Um, and I th- I'm pretty sure that's true. And I, I think the best scenes are all three. Hmm. So, like, when I find those scenes that are just conveying information, I'm like, okay, how do I make this uh, an interaction between two or more people that has its own story to tell? And uh-huh. in the process of that, you know, the scene goes from this to this. Uh, <laughs> you're you're yeah, making... Sorry, it goes from very small to yeah. very large. Okay. And we've got to figure out in the end how to, uh, you know, retract that back down to a, a, a limited size that still does the good work of telling a story rather than just conveying information. Yeah. I love it. All right. Thanks, Pete. Yeah. We'll do this again soon. Thanks, man. The Rabbit Room has partnered with Lipscomb University to make this podcast possible. Lipscomb has graciously given us access to their recording studio and the Center for Entertainment and Arts building. We're so grateful for their sponsorship, their encouragement, and the good work they do in Nashville. Special shout out as well to the Arcadian Wild for allowing us to use their delightful song, Finch in the Pantry, as part of this podcast. Check out their album of the same name for more excellent music. The Habit Membership is a library of resources for writers by me, Jonathan Rogers. More importantly, The Habit is a hub of community where like-minded writers gather to discuss their work and give each other a little more courage. Find out more at thehabit.co. This podcast was produced by The Rabbit Room, a 501c3 nonprofit dedicated to fostering Christ-centered community and spiritual formation through music, story, and art. All our podcasts are made possible by the generous support of our members. To learn more about us, visit rabbitroom.com. And to become a member, rabbitroom.com slash donate.